Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on April 23rd, 2021. Hey, I got the month, I got the day, and I got the year right this time. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the wrong month like last week. That's a good start. So, of course, it wasn't a good start when somehow I accidentally turned off the soundboard and called Rich on Skype to get the start show going, and we couldn't hear each other. So... This could go any which way. But anyway, welcome again to our program. We are so glad to have you with us. You guys just make this so much fun each and every week, and we love to to hear from you. If you ever want to get in touch with us, you can always reach us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, okay, Love to hear from the folks that really listen to the show. I don't want to hear from the leftist loons that have found me on Twitter today. I have been blocking like crazy. Um, all you got to do, all, this is what you have to do to draw out leftist nut jobs, Rich. Um, all you have to do is respond to the Daily Caller video clip that says that has a, a man filming police officers say, asking if they're going to shoot him like they uh, did the, the young lady who was trying to stab someone. And, you know, the officer rightly responds back you mean are you going to stab someone that would make me do that and the, the guy goes nuts and just start, starts cussing out the cops and says he's going to make it viral the only thing you have to do in response to that video is say i am very weary of this world <laughs> and every left leftist loon will find you <laughs> you don't even have to say why you don't have to say that you're pro-police you don't have to say that you think the guys uh that, that filmed the video was wrong you just have to say you're weary of this world and every leftist nut job will find you i've blocked several today so please if you're one of those find another email to send your stuff to because i'm just going to put it right in the circular file cabinet that it's called the trash so but uh, thank you for joining us uh we are part of the christian podcast community we encourage you to go check that out there are great programs on there i'm actually looking forward to uh listening to one that i'll i'm gonna uh, be downloading later from matter of theology uh, they just t- uh, talked about one that they're putting out and uh, i'm gonna pull this back up here because i want you guys to to um actually go listen to this program especially for the ladies uh this is going to be a really good program i think um if you really want to know what what does biblical womanhood look like what is the your uh, the biblical role for women this is going to be a really good one they had uh, a special guest lauren robinson uh, on there and they are talking about a woman's biblical role that is absolutely necessary and i am looking forward to listening to that I do want to remind Chris Huff that he told us mid-April we'd be linking up with him, but that's neither here nor there. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll move on with that. So, um, but I, I go check that out. They are part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, you know, Andrew Rappaport, I was listening to his program just last night on their Apologetics Live. They had actually fantastic conversation about uh, the grace life church i was i want to be careful because I, I don't want to say grace community church grace life church up in canada that we've talked about on this program they actually were talking about an interaction that was on video of the elders of grace life before the triple constantino wire fence okay i'm being a little facetious but the triple fence went up this was uh, back when the the health inspectors and the police were interacting with the elders and the interaction and how it was being dealt with in a really biblical proper way and um 
and they were kind of breaking down each of the conversations. So that's another conversation that's, uh, I think, worth listening to. So go check that out. But please go check out Christian Podcast Community. You're always going to have uh, have something good on uh, on those uh, various episodes that you'll be uh, you, you'll be able to listen to. Also, want to let folks know that uh, tomorrow I'm going to be a guest on someone else's show. I'm at uh, Michael Lee, who is got the sharp sharp. Uh, I can't say this right. Sharper podcast. At you, know, you can find it at sharp sharp. What is wrong with me? To see, I I messed myself up. I said I started off well. Now I'm messing it up left and right. <laughs> uh, sharperpodcast.com. He does a lot of interviews uh, where he is talking with Christian pastors, leaders, etc. Why he's invited me on, I'm still not entirely clue, clear about, but he apparently wants to inv- uh, interview me, does a lot of Q&A with, uh, Christ- as he says, Christian leaders of all walks of life. So uh, I'm going to be able to be on with him tomorrow night and uh, get to be interviewed. That's going to be rather interesting. And uh, you know, certainly when that program comes out, we'll share it. But I uh, want to ask for your prayers for that, because obviously whenever you're on somebody else's podcast, uh, you want to still represent you know, the word of God, well, you want to still represent, uh, the beliefs and the, and the reasons for why you do what you do. And you always want to do that rightly. So, you know, hopefully things will go well and, uh, I won't stumble over my, my mouth like I am tonight. And I might actually sound like I have a brain cell that functions. So prayers for that would be really, really appreciated. Um, it has been an interesting, interesting week. Uh, but I just, you know, Rich, I didn't tell you this in pre-show, but I just want to put this out there tonight. Folks, there is a lot of chaos going on in this nation. Ain't anybody with a brain cell that can uh, deny that. Whether you're leftist, rightist, in the middle, whatever, if you can't look at the world around us and realize things are coming apart at the seams, you're willfully blind, in my opinion. But I want to put out something for our fellow professing Christians, whether you are or not, I'm going to leave that between you and God. When a law enforcement officer has to make the choice in a split second to use deadly force on someone who is about to plunge the knife into a chest of another young lady. I'm going to ask you to stop before you open your mouth. We are not talking about an obvious misuse of force. We're talking about from the time he get his foot hit the ground getting out of the car to the time to the first shot went off, maybe 10 seconds. And every one of you armchair quarterbacks who says you're a Christian, who says, well, he should have restrained him, he should have tased her, he should have uh, done everything, anything but shoot, when this person is trying to plunge a knife into someone else's chest, I don't want to hear from you. I just don't. Okay? You, you, you want to believe what you want to believe? Hey, that's your right. I can't make you change your mind. But when you stand in the shoes of someone who's put his life on the line to protect the life of another person who's about to be killed, and your answer is to armchair quarterback and denigrate that officer who had to act in a split second, I think you need to be quiet. I really do. You can call me whatever name in the book you like. You can tell me, how dare you, you're being mean, your tone is terrible. That's fine. I I really don't care. Christians, we have men and women on the front lines who are trying to 
keep the seams of this world from being ripped apart and you want to throw them under the bus because you want to jump on the police or tyrants bandwagon. If that's you as a Christian, I want you to really rethink what you're saying. Because a lot of you are the same people who scream Romans 13 when it comes to masks, social distancing, closing down churches. Well, Romans 13 says that those in authority are there to protect life. And that's what that officer did. So, Rich, I'm sorry I didn't warn you, but I needed to say that. Um, we got a lot of self-professing Christians. Whether you are or not, I'll leave that between you and God. But you need to get off your high horse. You ain't walked in that man's shoes, and you ain't done his job, and you know diddly squat about police procedure. And what actually justifies deadly force. So sit down. And hush. And if that. If, if it can be proven. That that officer through an investigation. Did something wrong. Fine. But I can tell you right now. I watched that multiple times. And I am grateful for officers. Who will act in that split second moment. Because a lot of them are not going to be allowed to anymore. And you're going to see a lot more. Violent crime. And some of it's going to be because of people like you who simply want to be part of the bandwagon. And I'm sorry if you if you if that, that caused you to turn off this program, I'm sorry. I didn't want to offend anybody. But I'm really tired of the armchair quarterbacks. Because you're costing officers potentially their lives and the lives of innocent people on the street they're trying to protect. Because your voices are the ones that the politicians are all too fast to listen to so they can recreate law enforcement in their own image. And trust me, that's never gone well in history. So that's just from me to you. Take it for what you will. And um, I'm sorry if I offended you because I wasn't looking to, but I think somebody needs to say it. Okay, that being said... <laughs> If anybody hasn't deleted the download, we have a show to do. How you doing this week, Rich? <laughs> well, as always, brother, better than I deserve. Amen. Far, far better than I was last weekend leading into the first part of this week. Um, I think it's been <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago um, I announced that the Lord was blessing me with the opportunity to serve a local church and serve a local pastor by doing some teaching and preaching on evangelism. Well, last Sunday was scheduled to be the first lesson. Um, there's been a stomach flu type virus thing going around. Um, my wife, my daughter started out with it the first part of the week. Then my wife caught it and I'm sitting here. Oh, I don't know. 10, 11, 12 o'clock last Saturday night, finishing up my notes and getting ready to go to bed. Well, about, 2 a.m. and I thought by now, you know, I'm safe. I'm, you know, I haven't caught anything. It's been days since anyone showed any signs or symptoms. Well, it decided it was just going to go full blown attack mode on me at about 2 a.m. Oh my goodness! And from from then till about sometime Tuesday, I really don't remember much because <laughs> I had I had kind of a variation of it, um, and I, I posted two or three things, and it seems like this is going around 
several areas in the southeast, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee. I'm, I'm not real sure how far north or west it has migrated, but it's, it, it's a pretty mean <laughs> 24 to 48-hour 40, virus. I had I had the get dizzy passing out version, Oof. and and among other things. So um, I'm just thankful that I'm over it. I'm thankful that um, it seems like it has finally left our home and our family. So, um, and if the Lord wills this Sunday, I'll be able to proceed with the with the with the lessons at this local church. So we'll just kind of sit back and wait and see how things go. But um, as far as what you said in the opening, um, I won't apologize because I agree with you 100%. Um, The Lord gives us one mouth and two ears. That means we're to listen twice as much as we are to speak. And we're to investigate and look at things twice as hard than we are to speak. And without having been a law enforcement officer without having been out there on the streets dealing with what police officers deal with on a daily basis. You're sitting there basing all of your law enforcement knowledge off of some TV show that you watch. You're no more qualified to speak on law enforcement than I am on astrophysics because you don't know what you're talking about because you haven't been there. You haven't studied, you haven't learned. So, I agree completely with everything my brother Chris said. So if if <laughs> if you're if, if if you're still listening at this point and you disagreed with Chris, um just to reinforce I agree with Chris. So yeah. um what he said came from me as well. So yeah. that being said, um <laughs> I, I, here's tonight's episode <laughs> and this has nothing really well somewhat has to do with tonight's episode because tonight's episode is actually about what the Lord Jesus Christ told us. If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, and and let me just say Rich and I both are of the type that if law enforcement is in the wrong, we're going to we're going to say it. So if you think we just defend because it's we defend all cops, you're wrong. But we believe in in being obedient to the calling which with God has given you. And Romans 13 also states that uh, that authority has a higher authority, and that's God. And as Christians, our highest authority is God. And as you just said, Rich, as Christians, Christ commanded us that if we love him, we are to keep his commandments. And that is what we want to talk about tonight, is, is as Christians, if we say we love Christ, because we, we referenced this a little bit last on the last program, if we love Christ, we are to keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. It is actually should be a joy and a, a, a great desire for us as Christians to look to the Word of God, to desire to do what he's commanded us to do, and to be conformed to the image of his Son, and to be rejecting the ways of this world. So, uh, Rich, you, you sent me some interesting stuff on that, and I, I'll have you go, I'd like you to share that with everybody. But there was a couple of articles that you sent me that I thought were just fantastic. And we'll put these in the show notes. But one is an article by Stephen Lawson in uh, uh, from from Ligonier, excuse me Ligonier, still having trouble talking. Um, Ligonier called "You Just Need to Obey," which talks about um, the idea. You know, do do we need to pray 
to, you know, should, should I obey Christ's commandment here? Should, should I be honest in my business dealings? No, you don't pray about that. You just do it. You obey. And uh, Stephen Lawson is, makes a fantastic argument in that article, as well as the article uh, on uh, the gty.org website by John MacArthur from 2014 called Obedience and Responsibility. I think uh, both these men did far better than anything we'll do tonight. <laughs> we'll put those in the show notes as well. But I think they it really they both give a really good framework for, the, for our t- uh, topic tonight. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And... Um, I would love to just do nothing but read both of those articles, but because of time, we can't. So like you said, the, the, the show notes, you know, the links will be in the show notes, but, um, and I don't know if you wanted to speak any further prior to we going into the commands of Christ, but guess what? There are quite a few. There are far more than just God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. As Christians, we have specific commands given to us by Christ. And as you said, and we'll cover this further later on in the show, the the question at the heart of Christianity, if you profess to be a Christian, and the Bible makes it clear we are to obey what Christ commands us to do and the way that we are to think and to act, it is the motivation behind the obedience. Why should we obey Christ? Why should we want to obey Christ? And it's not to earn favor. It's not to earn or work our way towards heaven. It's like a child. Mm-hmm. And, any, and any of you that have children or, you know, grew up, you know, with brothers or sisters— and maybe have children now because we have listeners of all ages and everything else. But, you know, the simplicity of a child is wanting to please his or her parents. And that is the basic core of why we obey Christ, because we want to please Christ. We want to reach the day when we stand before Christ and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant." And anything beyond that really is outside the scope biblically when it comes to obeying Christ. Would you agree, brother? Absolutely. Uh, you know that 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 simple desire to please the the one who purchased us should be a, a driving force behind it. You're absolutely right. It has has nothing to do about earning merit or earning favor or love from God. It's just simply our desire to love and glorify Him. That when we're when we're seeking to be obedient to those commandments, we want to show our love, appreciation, and glorify the very one who purchased us. So I absolutely agree with you. Well, do we want to go ahead now and start looking at yeah. what some of the commands are? Yeah, okay. let's look at that, and then we'll talk about you know part of that and the reason why we do that uh, once we've gone through those commands. Well, I don't know about you, but honestly, I've, prior to doing preparations for the show, I've never really sat down and went through the Bible to pick out and and actually determine all of the commands Christ gives us. I don't know. I'm sure someone has, but I'm just going to be honest. I never have done that, and I feel guilty because that is something that I should have done years ago. I should have known exactly 
step by step what Christ commands us, not in a list, but just so I know and I'm aware and I can be praying over these things. But there's an outline that was written and preached on by J. Vernon McGee years ago, and it's based on First Thessalonians, and it's First um, Thessalonians chapter 5. And in that chapter, <clears throat> beginning in verse 11 going through 28, there are actually 22 commands within those verses that are given to us as Christians and as a church, 22 commands that we should be striving to obey. And this, granted, this is an epistle written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica, but make no mistake about it, these are commands from Christ. As we said in a show a year or two ago, the red letters in the Bible are not just the words of, of Jesus. The entire Bible is the Word of God. The, the red-letter portions came in as a marketing scheme in the early 1900s. So we need to remember that, and yeah. I, I know that you and I discovered that, but I think in, in a lot of ways that red-letter marketing idea has diluted people's understanding that the entire Bible is the Word of God. But Just going through Jordan this, <laughs> yeah, um, but beginning in verse 11, and these just go in order, so I won't read every verse number, but I will quickly go through these 22. Comfort yourselves. Edify, build up one another. Understand those who teach the Word. In other words, you need to support your pastor. If you can't support the pastor, you need to leave the church. If you're a disruptive influence in your church, you're not contributing to the building up of that church. You're actually part of tearing it down. We're to esteem, respect the teacher that's placed above us. Be patient. There should be peace among, oh, excuse me, be at peace. There should be peace among believers. Number six, which is, we're now at verse 14. Warn them that are unruly, meaning those out of step. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help them to get in step. Number seven, that was number seven. Number eight, support the weak. They cannot get in step, meaning help and encourage the faint-hearted. Help and support those that are maybe new in your new to the faith, that are struggling with a sin. As a brother or sister in Christ, you're there to support, encourage one another, and that's a command that we're all given. Um, number nine, be, be patient toward all men. Don't lose your temper. Keep your, keep your anger, keep your temper in check. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction to something you see posted on Twitter in a video. Okay? Right. Think back to the first of the show. Number 10, don't fight with one another. Follow good. Number 12, rejoice evermore, always rejoicing. And, and the word is rejoice, not happy as it is translated in some Bibles, but the word is rejoice. And at some point we need to, we need to do an episode on the difference between what joy and happiness is, brother. Um, number 13, which is in verse 17, pray without ceasing constantly, meaning more than we need to be praying more than just when we need or want something or when we're asking for healing. Number 14, give thanks in all circumstances, not just once a day, like Thanksgiving, but we need to 
have an attitude of thanksgiving towards God for all that he grants and blesses us because God's divine grace blesses the entire world. The Bible tells us that the, the rain and the sunshine falls on both the saved and the unsaved. We need to be thankful for everything that the Lord blesses us with. Number 15, the Holy Spirit is likened to a fire. To quench the Spirit means to refuse to do the will of God, that we refuse to let the Holy Spirit have his way in our lives, meaning we are to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Granted, in our flesh, that is impossible to do, but we should be growing in desire to walk in the Holy Spirit. We should be praying that the Holy Spirit blesses us and guides us, not only in our actions, but in our thoughts and in our attitude towards the Bible, and, and in our attitude towards obey, obeying Christ. Number 16, do not look down upon the Bible, but and study it as something that's beneath you. Do not be, be indifferent to the Word of God. This kind of goes back to what is in Revelation about the lukewarm church. It's better to either be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm, mean, meaning don't have an apathetic type attitude when it comes to the Bible and Bible study. I know too many times you and I both have come across Christians that, eh, I read the Bible ever so often, you know, maybe when I'm sick or a family member's sick, I'll go to the Bible and, and try to find some words of comfort. No, that, that is a cold, apathetic attitude towards the Word of God. We are to be in the Bible because it has been said more times than I can count in different ways, but either the Bible will guide your worldview or the worldview will guide your attitude towards the Bible. We need to remember that and honor the Bible as what it truly is, is the Word of God. Don't be credulous, taken in by flattery. In other words, don't let flattery sway your decisions one way or the other, because there are some people out there that can really, you know, sweet talk you into doing this or that and that goes back to being guided by the Holy Spirit, not be just not being deceived by plausible arguments, as we discussed last week. Number eighteen: Hold to that which is true and genuine. This is the answer for the questionable pastime. Number nineteen. Number twenty. We're down in verse twenty-five now. Pray for those who labor in the gospel. Pray for the men and women that are out actively proclaiming the gospel each and every day. Number verse 26, but I kind of like the way that J. Vernon McGee translated this. In verse 26, it talks about greeting each other with a holy kiss. Um, he translated that into a handshake will do, meaning we don't necessarily have to go up and, and kiss everyone, but a, a happy, joyous greeting is what is what that's talking about, you know, loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, in verse 27, this epistle is to be read in the church, meaning not only this epistle, but all things we, we are to be sharing with one another that is of God. And that's just 22, and that's mm -hmm. just from one chapter of one epistle, which was from First Thessalonians. Now, further research, there's a list of about 50 other commands from Christ. Do you want to go through some of these, or shall I? Yeah, no, by all means, brother. You go right ahead. Well, um, what I'll do is I'll just give you the the highlighted portion and the scripture verse that goes along with it. Um, I won't go through all of them, but 
two of the two of the ones and they're not at the top of this list but two commands given by Christ I think are maybe not necessarily despised by Christians the most but are definitely two of the top neglected when Christ commands us to go forth and proclaim the gospel and according to most statistics among professing Christians only about 2 to 6% of professing Christians ever ever actually proclaim the gospel yet that is a command from Christ is to go forth and proclaim the gospel the second one is examine yourself to make sure you're actually in the faith other than evangelism i think that one is frowned upon forgotten neglected and tossed aside probably more so than even evangelism because when it comes down to it how many people are not only willing but actually desire to obey that commandment and examine their self examine their walk and you know that is something that is far far too neglected especially in today's day and age when most churches are preaching you know happiness and and come to christ because you'll get this this or this um another command this is from matthew four seventeen: repent christ said follow me matthew four nineteen: rejoice matthew five eleven through 12 honor god's law meaning god's moral law be reconciled to god do not lust matthew 5 28 through 30 which granted is one of god's moral laws but jesus went into it even deeper and explained that to look with lust you've already committed adultery in your heart um christ also commands us to go the extra mile if someone requires you to go a mile with them, go that extra mile, meaning that whatever someone is asking of you, whatever you are doing for someone else, you go above and beyond what is expected because when you do, you're not doing it to please that person or yourself. You're doing it to please the Lord. We're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to be perfect as he is perfect, as our heavenly father is perfect. We're to, we're to practice disciplines, meaning part of that discipline is obedience and prayer and Bible reading. We're to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, not on earth. We should treasure and value the Word of God over any materialistic value whatsoever of any of owning property or homes or vehicles. Our love of Christ should outweigh any other love that we have on earth even to the point to where our love for christ should look like hatred towards our love for our wives or our husbands or our children <coughs> and matthew six thirty three, seek god's kingdom it says in that seek first the kingdom of the lord and all these things will be added to you meaning food and clothing and shelter but sadly in today's world people are not just satisfied with that they want the biggest, the best, the newest, the flashiest, the most expensive, you know, we have to compete with the Joneses down the street. They got a 20-foot bass boat. Well, we need to get a 24 bass boat. We, we need to be out doing them. But that's not what Christ commands. We're not to cast pearls before swine. Matthew 7, 6. Do unto others. Matthew 7, 12. 
and here's one that I especially love because too many people don't seem to grasp this concept that's in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, when it talks about the, the, the narrow gate and the broad way. We're to choose the narrow way, meaning we're to stay on that narrow path towards Christ. And Christ said it would not be easy, but he would be there to sustain and help us and keep us on that path. We're to beware of false prophets. We're to pray for laborers. We're to pray for the Lord to raise up men and women to go out and proclaim his gospel. Because proclaiming the gospel is both a command from Christ, but it's also a blessing given to us by Christ. Christ could very easily send angels to proclaim the gospel, but instead he blesses us fallen, broken, wretched men and women who are dead and well once we're dead in our sin he blesses us with with that job to go out and proclaim the gospel to other lost dead sinners when he very easily could just send an angel to go do it but no he blesses us fallen unworthy rebels to do that he commands us to fear not we're to fear god more than we're to fear man we're to honor our parents we're to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow christ we are to avoid be, avoid being covetousness of of other people's possessions or their lives or what they possess. We're to forgive others. We're to forgive offenders. We are to forgive those that have sinned against us. But more importantly, when they sin, they may sin against us, but they've actually sinned against God, not us. They may have mistreated us or been mean to us, but their sin is against God. We, we take it as an offense. We take it that they've sinned against us, but we need to remember, truly, their sin is against God. And we're, we come second or third after that, but we're to forgive others as Christ forgave us. We're to honor marriage. We're to be a house of prayer, just like earlier from chapter 5, in First Thessalonians, we, to, we are to constantly be in prayer. We're to feed the poor. We're to help the homeless. We're to render to Caesar. We are to obey the authorities that the Lord placed over us up until the point to where those authorities are violating God's authority when they start trying to exercise authority and command us to do things outside of Scripture. We are to obey them up until that point. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor. We are to be born again, which goes back to the repent command. And Christ said, it's actually a command to keep my commandments. Just think about that for a minute. Christ commanded us to keep his commandments. We're to watch and pray. We're, we're to make disciples, meaning that when we proclaim the gospel and we proclaim the law in the gospel and someone repents and comes to Jesus Christ in faith, we're to make disciples of them. And depending on the situation, we have brothers and sisters that travel in different cities and states and all over the world. But if someone does come to faith in Christ, it's our responsibility to help them get in a solid Bible-believing tree church where they will be trained and taught the things of Christ. 
This is just a few that I just touched on, brother. Do you have anything you want to add as we continue on? Well, I just I want people to be, you know take a note of something. In every single one of those commands, are we being commanded to do for ourselves, or are we doing as Christ said, taking up our cross and following Him? Every one of those commands has us doing for. God or for someone else. There's nothing in those commandments where we're doing something to better ourselves, to increase our wealth, to increase our position or power. Hmm, sounds like there's a particular movement that could learn something from that. Uh, but the entire set of commandments you just went through is us being humbled, putting ourselves last, putting God and his people, and the people he's put in our lives, first. In every one of those commandments, it's about doing not for myself. It is me dying to myself and living for Christ. Every command is represented in that. You know, the, the entirety of the moral law, Christ himself said, is broken into two ta uh, tables, to love God and to love others. And every commandment you gave, you just walked us through, fits right into that and none of it is about loving self so that's just that was something as as you were going through that i just that's kind of what just hit me is like think about what christ's commands are you know all these modern church growth gurus tell tell pastors to preach about how you can get your people to live a better life how their family lives can be better or their jobs can be better or their children can be better but that's not what Christ's commands reflect. Not one of those you just went over touches on that. So I just thought that was interesting. Well, I hadn't planned on doing this, but I actually found this today. It was a tweet by Dustin Binge, and it said, The world says, love yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Yep. The world says, serve yourself. Jesus says, serve others. The world says, forgive yourself. Jesus says, forgive others. The world is diametrically opposed to the agenda of Jesus Christ. And sadly, I'd say most of the churches in America would preach on those mm -hmm. top three or four things instead of preaching on the agenda of Jesus Christ, meaning what you just said, we're to lay down our lives for others. Not just physically lay down our life, but meaning we are to lay down our own self, we're to put others' mm -hmm. interests ahead of our own. We're to put our spouse ahead of ourselves. We are to love others more than we love ourselves. We're to love others to the point where we're willing to proclaim the saving life of the gospel to them. We are to love God and love others as God loved us because at some point someone loved you enough to proclaim the gospel to you. In turn, we should be loving others enough to do that in return. Amen. Because the most loving thing you could ever do for someone that's dead in their sin is to proclaim the gospel to that person. Amen. Amen. So it's just one of those things. I mean, you know, every command we're given is about denying ourselves and doing something for God or for others. And 
as you said, the one of the, the, the one of the most evident ones of that is to to take to you know, think about it. What, what is almost every objection to sharing the gospel? Someone boiled down to, and I don't mean this to be insulting because I know the first time I heard it, I kind of took it a bit personal. But it's the fear of man. We're afraid of how we will be perceived by those who we give the gospel to. But when we die to self and we die to that fear of how we'll be perceived, we are giving someone that life-saving message. Eternal life is in that message. You are dying to self. You know, so yeah, that's that's absolutely right on the money, Rich. That is one of the will, most important things that we can do uh, in will, com- uh, obeying the commandments of God. Sorry, I, I will. I would like to add this real quick. What you just said is true, but it's not necessarily the fear of others that prevents us from claiming the gospel. It's our God of pride. We're more yeah. scared of getting our pride hurt than we are of the fate of that person we're proclaiming the gospel to. Pride will is first and foremost will get in the get in the way. Your pride, your pride will get in the way of serving Christ more than anything else ever can or will. Whether it comes to prayer, whether it comes when it comes to Bible reading, Bible study, going to church proclaiming the gospel, examining yourself. It's your pride that will prevent that from happening because in your mind, there's always something you either feel like is more important or something you had rather be doing than that. We will always do what we love. Our heart will always guide us towards what our true love is. And our true love should be Jesus Christ in his word. Amen. Now, why should that be our desire? Why should we want to obey Christ? Well, let's let's take a look at, I think Romans 6 really does a great job of explaining this. And it, it Romans 6 is set with the backdrop of, you know, Paul is, is writing to the Romans and one of the accusations is that, you know, oh, well, if God is in sovereign over everything then you know why does he find any uh, fault with anyone and uh you know if if his grace is what uh is what covers us then really we what does it matter if we sin and he says what shall we say then starting in verse one are we to continue in sin that grace may i may abound by no means how can we who died to sin live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ were baptized into his death we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is key in understanding why we are obedient to the Father. And, I, and I'll talk about some of the reasons why I think some folks are um, look at the idea of being obedient to God, following the commands of Christ as legalistic. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But this is key to understanding. We are walking in newness of life we have died to our former selves we are we are a new creation he, uh, paul continues for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his we know that our 
old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You have been set free from uh, the captivity of sin. You're no longer a slave to it. You've been set free through this death and resurrection. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Walking in obedience to Christ, obeying his commandments, is we are you know, considering ourselves dead to our former way of life. We are rejecting that which, uh, you know, which was killing us and bringing us into uh, condemnation. But we are walking in newness of life. We are walking in a way that we are living for God. So he goes on and says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it obey your passions. Do not present your members as um, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are not to present ourselves back to sin, back to unrighteousness. Rather, we are to give ourselves to God to be used as instruments for righteousness. We are you know, humbly submitting to God. We are turning ourselves over to use for him for his good works and his good purposes. For sin will no longer will no have excuse me, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. I hear that abused a lot and it, what always amazes me is what people don't say and they don't read in the next verse which is what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? So a lot of people say, well, we're not under the law. So I'm not, I, you know, you can't say that I have to be obedient or walk in holiness. Wait a minute. Did you read the next verse? When you present yourself back to the sinful way from which you were redeemed, you, you're, you're going back to that old master. You're a slave to that old master. But if you yourself are truly in Christ, then you are a slave to a new master, and which is a, uh, you're, to be obedient, which leads to righteousness. It's not that we are not under the law somehow frees us from any obedience to God. It's that the law does not, under which we were enslaved to sin, we could, could never bring us to salvation. The law led us to Christ. So we're no longer under the law which condemned us, but the, the commandments are good and right. And that is what we do because we are slaves of righteousness. So he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So he's using this language of slavery so that they understand the picture he's trying to paint. I'm uh, 
for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Our obedience, and, and it's one of the things that was in the articles we referenced at the beginning, is our obedience is about being sanctified. It's us walking in Christ and being led further and further in sanctification, being made more and more like our Savior. In wrapping up the chapter, Paul writes, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, being a slave to sin, you were free from trying to keep the law because you couldn't. But what fruit were you getting at the time of, from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of the, those things is death. Yeah, we were free from righteousness because it was leading us to death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you, uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Rich, when I read this, something, you know, there's a picture that we need to see. There's this overarching issue about salvation that we need to see. And that's when, when we are redeemed, we're not just saved. Like, okay, you were falling into a pit. I've pulled you out of the pit. Now you've been saved. That's, it's not just that kind of sal uh, being saved. We actually undergo a complete transformation. Paul says we were slaves to sin. We were slaves leading to death. And now we're slaves to righteousness. We're a complete transformation, a completely different person. You know, in Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 and 27, uh, the prophet writes, you know, speaking in, uh, as from God, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I, and give you, excuse me, yeah, and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. So God speaking through the prophet, talking about this time when, when Christ comes and there's this new covenant that he would not, it wouldn't just be, here's the, the law which is a representation of God's righteousness and holiness, and you're under this law to be in, in this covenant, which is, it, it cannot bring salvation, but it can point to the one whom you need. Now it's, here is salvation. Here is the promised Messiah. Here is the one who will redeem those who are in sin. And what does he do? He gives a new heart. He gives a new spirit. He causes them to walk in his statutes. It is a complete spiritual transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are no longer, if you are in Christ, you are no longer this old man. You are a new man. You are a new creation. You have been spiritually completely transformed. So we're not just plucked out of the line to hell and put in the line to heaven. And I think, unfortunately, Rich, I think there's a, a lot of mainstream Christianity that kind of preaches it that way. It's like, well, God just moved us from here to here. And they don't think of it in terms of this entire transformation. But he breaks us free from the shackles of sin. 
you know, this, hey, we couldn't brother. do, huh? I just, I wanted to add something before you got yeah. much farther. What you were reading from Romans, obedience of heart, meaning our obedience is from a desire to serve Christ, a desire to please Christ. And the fleshly, a person in their flesh has no desire to please Christ, much less to obey Christ. And as Christians, that should actually be something that we pray is that the Holy Spirit grant us the desire to grow in sanctification, to grant us the desire to obey Christ. Amen. And in other places in the New Testament, it's referred to as the law of grace or either the law of love. Um, Christ said it is, it is finished, meaning the, the, the law-keeping, the forthcoming of, you know, the prophets told of Christ coming, everything that they worked for in order to achieve a works-type righteousness, all of that is finished. Christ said it is finished, but once you are saved, that is just the beginning. It's not a one and done. Mm-hmm. It's the start of a long, hard, sometimes treacherous path. But Christ will not leave you on that path alone. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you and guide you. That That is one of the most tragic things that is preached in American churches today, is that once you're saved, that's it. That's all that's required. Actually, Christ goes way above and beyond that. Once you're saved, that is just the beginning. After that, you should be desiring sanctification. You should be desiring to grow as much like Christ on earth as you possibly can. Like you said, it's not getting plucked out of one line and put into the other. It's basically getting plucked out of a line, thrown out in the middle of the desert. That's going to be a hard treacherous struggle, but we have a Savior that will be there, a mighty Savior that will be there when your need is mighty. He will be there when your need is small. He will always be there. If you're saved and you're in Christ, you have nothing to fear because everything will be provided to you that you need, even if that means that you need discipline Christ will provide that discipline to put you back on that narrow path. Amen. Amen. And that's when, I, when we're saying you are a transformed person, that's what happens. He says, you know, go, go back to Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He gives you a new heart, a desire. And Rich, you're right. We need to pray for that daily. Lord, make me, give me a desire to obey you. Because that's, I think, the key in understanding when we talk about obedience. Why should we be seeking to obey Christ's commands? When he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Why should we want that? Because we are a new creation and the Holy Spirit resides within us. And the evidence of that, one of them, is the desire and the action to obey Christ. Like like I was saying earlier, there are many who see obedience as legalism because they don't see salvation as anything more than fire insurance. 
They look at God's work, but they don't see it as transformative, but changing where we're going. So it's, and this is where the man-centered the, uh, theology of salva- of presenting the gospel, it, it, I think, has done great damage. Because it's about selling Jesus. It's about making him seem palatable and that he loves you and you're just, he's just, he, he's got his arms stretched out to hold you and love you. But that's not what salvation is. They're, they're not seeing salvation uh, as something that is addressing the reality of sin. And they don't see themselves as slaves to it. If God is just simply changing our de- de- destination, he's just gone, well, I like you, so I'm going to take you from this line where you're going to danger, and I'm going to move you to this to this line where there's there's paradise. It's we, we don't think that God is really expecting anything of us. He's just really nice, and he's moved us from here to here. That's, that's not what salvation really is. The, the reason we're on a road to hell is that we are corrupt to our core. You got to understand this is what this is a massively different perspective than I think most mainstream professing churches preach. And, and and many churches may rightly understand salvation, but we're not preaching it that way because we want God to be palatable so people will come into the church. So people end up thinking that well, sin is just those things that I do. They're they're the the, the errors, the the oopsies, the the times when I make bad choices. But scripture says that we sin because of who we are. We are sinners by nature. You know, that it, it's down to our very core that we are a sinner. We are born in sin. Okay, we born with a sinful nature. And the funny thing is, is that a sinner might be able to accomplish something that's good. They, they might be able to love their spouse. They might be able to take care of their children. They might do a good job at work. Okay, and so that's why I think people don't understand is that, well, for example, you can meet an atheist who hates God, but is like really nice. He takes care of his neighbors, you know, feeds the homeless, does all those things. So people look at it and go, well, he's, I can't understand why God would send that guy to hell. He does some great things. But they don't see the core, his makeup. They don't see that, um, that everything he's doing is tainted by sin. See, even when we try to do good things outside of Christ, why are we doing them? Primarily, we're doing them for ourselves. Maybe we, maybe it makes us feel good. Maybe we enjoy the, 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 the seeing someone smile or enjoy the gratitude that somebody gets. I mean, I'm, I'm putting this in the most, you know, the, the kindest ways that I can. But we're gaining something from it ultimately. I'm receiving something, a a sense of self-worth, even on the best of days. I'm not doing good things for the glory of God. So even in the nicest, most kind and loving person you can find on this earth outside of Christ, everything he does is for himself because he gains something from it. He doesn't do it for the glory of God. He doesn't do it because he loves God. And that's the problem. We think doing good things makes us good people. Doing bad things makes us bad people. But we don't even see that our good, as the Bible says, that our best days or the best works we've ever done, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And let's not talk about what filthy rags means because it's really disgusting. Okay, so the best we can accomplish 
is still tainted by the sinfulness of our pride. We can't just say we're doing good things. We're headed to hell because our nature makes us rebels against God. So salvation isn't just changing where we're going, but changing our very nature, changing who we are to the very core of our being. In salvation, sin is transferred, our sins are transferred to Christ at the cross. His righteousness is imputed to us. Okay? But that's not just what happens. It's not just, okay, Jesus, you got punished in my place. That's great. Oh, you're, you, you, I get to look like you. No, it's more than that. We are actually made a new creation. We, in his resurrection, we are brought up in newness of life. We are a new man. So now the core of my being is Christ. I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's not just me anymore. I have a brand new creation, a new heart. I am broken free from the shackles of that old man. We're no longer beholden to sin. We can actually desire to not sin. And we actually have the ability to not sin. Not sinlessly perfect. As, as uh, I think it was uh, Stephen Lawson said, we, we can't achieve sinless perfection in this life. That won't happen until we're glorified. But we desire and actually have the ability to say no to sin. We can do what is right, not, and not just for sinful, prideful reasons, but to do it for the glory of God whom we now love. We, did, we hated God before. Now we are brand new, and we love the Savior. And everything we did previous to that was never for God's glory. Now it's for His glory. We desire to make God the highest thing. I don't obey God so that I can earn merit. I obey him so that I can praise him. Obedience is about glorifying God and praising him for who he is. And here's the thing. In Christ, we don't earn any merit when we're obedient. If I obey everything today that God told me to do, he does not love me more. He does not approve of me more. There's no change in his love for me because I was obedient today. If I stumble in sin tomorrow, God doesn't love me less or approve of me less. If I stumble in sin, his love for me doesn't change because I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. God cannot love me more or less than he did today, tomorrow, yesterday, or the day uh, the day after. He will not love me any difference. Why? Because I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness. His love for his son is, where, is why I have God's love. Because I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. So all the love the father has for the son, guess what? That's the love he has for me. Because Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. There's nothing that I do, if I'm truly in Christ, that will make God love me more or less. He's not disappointed in me today and thinks great of me tomorrow. It is always that same outpouring of gracious, merciful love. So let that, let understand that.
When we're talking about obedience, we're not saying this is how you get God to like you more today. It has nothing to do with that. So obedience is not me trying to merit more of God's love. Rather, it's me working out what God did in me when he transformed me. That's why he, the Paul, uh, you know, yeah, Paul writes, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying earn your salvation. You're working it out. You have the salvation. Now you're doing the work. And you do it in fear and trembling because of the God who purchased you. Sin is what caused Christ to die in my place, to break me from my enslavement. So I don't should not be desiring to do that which caused cost Christ his life. So I seek obedience to Christ to be made more like my new master, to be like the one whose righteousness I am clothed in. Now I'm not yet transformed. I in, in completeness. I'm not glorified. But I'm seeking to obey Christ because God is doing a work of sanctification in me. And over time, I'm becoming more like Christ. I'm turning away from the old man more and more. And I'm turning toward Christ more and more. Obedience is looking to glorify the Savior by becoming conformed to his image. So when we say all these commands... It's not legalism. It's not a list of do's and don'ts that kind of ruin our day. It is literally recognizing I'm no longer what I once was. And the one who purchased me, that's who I want to glorify for the entire world by seeking to be made more like him. Does that make sense, Rich? Oh, absolutely. And you actually... Somewhat just that last sentence took the words out of my mouth <laughs> and, and, and probably should be the title of this show. If you love me, keep my commandments. The key word in that is love, not as the world loves, but as Christ loves. Our love for Christ is not for what we might get. And like you said, you know, we don't earn merit and favor with God one day and fall out the next love means the desire to glorify God to make him known for others to look at us and glorify God Amen. that's what love means it's the first and second commandment so love God with all our heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves love in that command means a desire to glorify Christ in every aspect of our lives. And you hit on it earlier. On this earth, as we walk this earth, we will never achieve sinless perfection, but we will desire to sin less and less. We will learn, we will grow to notice our sin. Our conscience will prick us when we sin, we will desire forgiveness and reach out to Christ at that moment when we sin. We will desire to sin less. Not that we'll ever be sinless, but we will desire to sin less. And one of the greatest examples, if you examine yourself and look over the course of your walk with Christ, 
if you can look and see that you are fighting against sin versus jumping headlong first into it and making excuses for sin, that is one of the greatest examples that you can search for in your life. And God knows your heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows what you do when you're alone. And the question you need to ask at those points and times in your life when no one's around and no one's looking, are you glorifying Christ in those times and moments in your life? Amen. And something else is we have to remember is, you know, Scripture tells us that Christ's commands are not burdensome. Going back to what we talked about before, Rich, you know, when people who are Christians say, oh, when you say walking in holiness or being obedient or obeying the commands, you're, you're, you're being legalistic. That, that assumes that the, there's a burden to keeping those rules. There, that, it's, it, that it's like going to the pool, like I said before, or going to the beach, and there's that list of rules of do's and don'ts, and you can't run along the pool, or you can't dive off the pier, or whatever. And people look at that and go, why, why those got, rules got to be there? You know, I'm not going to hurt myself. Let me decide what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. That's how I think sometimes people look at the commands of Christ. They, they see it as a list of rules that they now have to keep. They have to do these things. And the only reason I think that we look at it that way is if we really think that what I de desire to do for myself in this life is really fine and there's really nothing wrong with it. It, it, it can't be an offense or an abomination before God. It's This is just me being me. And if, if what I'm doing in this life is fine, it's just me being true to who I am, then I don't see how it can really be a sin. And why do I need to be obedient and, and die to myself? I'm really not a bad person. But if we refocus and look at what Scripture says about who we are prior to Christ, and we recognize what we think is being true to ourselves is actually acting out of a corrupt sinful nature, then all those things that I was doing before Christ is waging war against God. Now it's not just innocent, harmless things that I don't understand why the Bible has a problem with this. It's, wow, I'm doing all these things for me because I'm the God of my universe. I'm the one who sits on the throne. And this is about pleasing me and pleasing myself. That means I'm trying to wage war against God and wrangle him off the throne. We, we need to understand who God is. We need to see our sin in light of who God is. God is the very definition of goodness, righteousness, beauty, and perfection. The commands that come from him, they, they are a reflection of his very being, his attributes. God isn't just someone who's good. God is goodness. The goodness is defined by God's attributes. Righteousness is defined by God's attributes. God isn't some, a being who is righteous. He is righteousness. So when we understand his attributes, we understand why his commands extend forth from him, because they are a reflection of who he is. I have to come to, to a point where I see that Acting in obedience to his commandments is that I am conforming myself to the most beautiful and glorious being in all existence. The very one who created me, 
the very one who is the definition of beauty, righteousness, goodness, kindness, mercy, justice, when, and all those commands extend forth from that. When I'm acting in obedience to that, I am rejecting the God of self, and I'm conforming myself to the God of the universe. But that means I have to examine myself. It's something you talked about earlier, Rich. That's a command we don't like. I have to examine myself. I have to ask myself certain questions. Do my desires comport with the will of God? Do they come in conjunction with what God has commanded? What I desire, is it, is it in alignment with him? It, are my desires for my benefit alone, or do they point myself to and others to Christ? If what I want doesn't point me and everyone else to Christ, I have to ask, what is the point of the, those desires? Are they for my own glorification? Probably. Are they in conflict with God? And am I willing to abandon them if they are? And abandon them for his sake, not just for me. Do I view his commands as being what is most right and good in the world and for my own life? Do I believe that everything that extends from God, including his commandments, is what is best? It is most right, most good. Terrible grammar, but I think you get my point. Or do I believe that following his commands will somehow deprive me of my joy and my own benefit in this life? And I believe that's why some people look at obedience to God as legalism. Because they think it deprives them of something. Rather being changed and being made more like Christ. Our obedience isn't about the, 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 the rules at the pool of do's and don'ts and running next to the pool and diving off the edge. With, Boy, that would sure be enjoyable. Why can't I do that? It's not that. It's not me trying to prove I'm a good boy. Rather, it's putting to death daily those things which keep me from enjoying and loving God to the fullest. Because those things are about me. Those desires, those actions, those acts, those sins, they're about me. Putting them to death and conforming myself to God is me loving and enjoying the Father and the Savior and the Holy Spirit in totality. Because I want what He wants for me. His commandments aren't burdensome. They actually free us. They free us from that which keeps us from being conformed to His beauty and righteousness. And that's when Scripture says Christ's commands are not burdensome. That's what it's saying. It has freed us from the God of self. And it has conformed us to the God of the universe. So Rich, everyone, that's when you were reading through that list. Think about every one of those commands. What were they about? They were about doing not for me, but for God. Doing for others, pointing them to God. Rich, we, if we love Christ, then it should be a no-brainer that we, if we, if we want to demonstrate our love for him, we're, we want to be obedient, right? Absolutely, brother. Um, in closing, I'll just leave everyone with this. If you have no desire to please Christ, but you're living only to please yourself, you're not following the Christ of the Bible. You're not following the God of the Bible. You're following the God of self. You're worshiping the God of self. You're worshiping the God, little g, of pride. And if you find yourself in that situation, if 
you examine yourself biblically and find that that is what you're guilty of, you need to go before Christ in prayer and ask him to get you back on the narrow path or maybe even grant you the gift of salvation to begin with. Amen. That is one of the most precious things, the most important things you can ever do is to be sure that you're actually in the faith, to be sure you are actually saved. Because if you are clinging to sin, if you're making excuses for your sin, if you are living in defiance of God, if you have no desire whatsoever to obey God, what makes you think you're even actually saved? Amen. And other than that, I'll close like I always do. Whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel at least once a day. And remember this, if you're not proclaiming the gospel now while it is legal, what makes you think you will ever do it when it becomes illegal, like it is in so many countries? Amen. Amen. Folks, please understand, nothing about this program tonight was about us trying to say you have to be perfectly obedient in everything uh, that God commands or you're not saved. Your salvation is not based upon your obedience. We cannot. That's the point of the law. It was a schoolmaster which leads us to Christ. It shows that we can't because we're corrupt to the core. The gospel frees us from that corruption. The gospel of Christ who came into this world, took on human flesh, lived as a man, lived perfectly in obedience, something we'll never be able to do in this life lived in perfect obedience to the Father in every thought, word, and deed, and then went to the cross willingly to take on the wrath of God for sinners, suffered, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again, defeating sin and death. And that when we turn from sin and put our faith in Christ, we are transformed. We are no longer Sinners bound and enslaved to sin. And on the, the, on the road to hell, we are free from that. But we are now servants of the Most High. We are slaves to righteousness. And the reason we can be slaves to righteousness is He has changed us. And the evidence of that transformation is our desire and our effort to daily die to self and live in Christ and obey his commandments. So never ever hear us say, well, if you're not doing all these things, you're not saved. It's not what we said. And if you see, if you hear that, you are not listening. Okay, I'm not trying to insult you. But if you walked away from this saying, you are a legalist and you're telling people they can't be saved unless they're perfectly obedient, you came into listening to this program with a preconception and you did not listen to what we ta told you. Okay, you didn't hear a word of it because you only looked with that, those blinders on. I want you to know that. Okay, and I'm not trying to insult you, but we never have said it. And if you still think it, go back and listen to it again. Because I think we made that really, really clear. And I emphasize this because there's going to be someone who says those guys are being legalists. You can't tell Christians they need to obey God's law. Somebody's going to say that. Somebody's going to listen to it and somebody's going to say that. 
So I want to make that point loud and clear. You need to re-listen to what we said. But as my brother Rich said, if you just don't have a desire, you don't think that you need to obey God. You don't think you need to die to self. You don't think that you're really doing anything wrong. That your life is pretty good. You got, you got your life and your desires and you got Jesus too. So, hey, I'm great. That should scare you. That really should scare you. Because there should be a daily struggle in our flesh or that we are fighting against sin. And if you're, look, let me encourage you. If you're one of those people that you're struggling, you make a couple of steps up, boom, you fall down. You get a couple of steps up, boom, and you fall down. And you're, man, I can't just, I can't get victory over this. Guess what? You're fighting against sin. What does that mean? You desire to be obedient to Christ. That's good. Keep fighting. Keep struggling. Keep turning to God's word. Keep praying. Keep going back to your pastors. Keep you know, getting in fellowship. Because you're fighting. Praise God for those struggles. Because you don't want to struggle. You don't want to fight. You want to be victorious. Praise God. You're seeking to be obedient. Take comfort in that. So that's what we wanted to convey to you. This is actually to meant to be an encouragement. Because when you are obedient to Christ, you are glorifying Him who bought you with a price. And then this day and age, when there's an attack on the Word of God and its sufficiency, when the, when the woke mentality is trying to actual bring actual legalism upon you, when the world is trying to say what is Christianity and what isn't, there is comfort in knowing that if you love Christ and you seek to obey Him, when everybody else wants you to do something else, that shows you are purchased of Christ. And that's what we want you to take from this. If you love Christ, seek to obey His commandments and do it daily. Die to self daily. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Thank you for being with us this week, guys. We are so grateful for you. We love you guys. We thank you. We ask for your prayers. We, thank, we ask that if this benefits you in any way, Praise God for His work because it's not us, it's Him. And if it would benefit someone else, consider sharing it. Not that we're looking for, hey, we need to have more people listening or anything like that. We just want to be a blessing. We want to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we want to share to as many people as we're able to. And if that's five people, fantastic. That's five we don't deserve. If it's 5,000, that's fantastic because it's 5,000 we don't deserve. All we're saying is if there's one person you can think of that would benefit from this, consider sharing it with them. We are so very grateful for you guys. God bless you. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. We'll see you next time.